two things before I turn to scripture. You know, I'm going to introduce it a little bit before Vaca gets up here. Um, first of all, I want to thank Laffy Carr for preaching for me last Sunday. Thank you so much. Don and I had a really lovely time in Indiana with his mom. I uh, got to see a little bit of fall. Um, so that was great. And I knew, I, I knew you all were in good hands last week. So thanks, Laffy. Um, second, I want to note that October 31st is not just Halloween. It is also the day on which a German monk named Martin Luther sent a letter to his bishop to protest the sale of indulgences, the sale by the Church of Letters Absolving Sins, sort of a get-out-of-purgatory-sooner cards. <laughs> that letter included a discourse stating Luther's theological objections to indulgences, and tradition says that he nailed a copy of that discourse to the church, to the door of All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. It became known as the 95 Thesis, and it touched off, it was a huge challenge to papal authority, and it touched off what we know today as the Protestant Reformation, which is a big reason why we're worshiping in this church and not up in St. Anthony's up on the hill. So this Tuesday marks the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther's act. So I'm going to say it might be fun on Tuesday when you go out 500 years. Do you want to go out and you greet people instead of saying Happy Halloween? It might be interesting to say what they say when you say Happy Reformation Day. And then you can explain to them why we call it Reformation Day. There you go. All right. It's a little known facts, or actually really big facts, especially in the Lutheran Church, really big facts. <laughs> so let me set the stage before Vaca reads today's scripture. We're in the midst of Holy Week, with his dramatic entrance into the city of Jerusalem and his equally dramatic cleansing of the temple, Jesus has thrown down the proverbial gauntlet in front of the religious leaders, and they are determined to meet his challenge. And so as he teaches in the temple, representatives of the two religious and political parties of Judaism, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, try their best to turn the common people against him. They really want to arrest Jesus, but they are very aware of his popularity, and they don't want to disrupt the people. And so they fight back with the only weapons that they have, their learning and their words. They do this in very rabbinical fashion by posing questions to Jesus. So the first ones who come up to him are the Pharisees, and they ask him, by what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? And when that question gets them nowhere, they try another. Say, Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? And when Jesus answers them in a way that amazes them, they retreat, and then the Sadducees give it a go. And not only does his answer silence his questioners, but it astounds the crowd who is listening to these exchanges. And so the Pharisees make one last attempt. Let's listen. And our gospel reading for this morning is from Matthew 22, Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40, and it's on your New Testament, page 25. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest. He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. After a quick huddle to strategize, the Pharisees send an expert in Jewish law to pose a question to Jesus in the hopes of entrapping him in some kind of heresy. The question is, is tricky. Which of the 613 commandments in the law, that's how many there are, which of those is the greatest? Which one? A law having to do with morality, which the Pharisees would have liked. A law having to do with ritual, which the Sadducees would have liked. Which one, Jesus? If you were asked to choose which of our country's laws was the most important, what would you say? It's kind of that equivalent. Instead of focusing on morality or ritual, Jesus chooses a law that has to do with relationship. Quoting Deuteronomy 6, chapter 6, verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. But he doesn't stop there. Instead, he turns to Leviticus 19.18 and adds, And a second is like it, equal to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All of these laws, Jesus says, are a coherent whole that hangs together, and what binds them together is love, the love of God and the love of neighbor. And of course, these commandments weren't new to the Pharisees, and they're not new to most of us. The great commandments are religious bedrock for us, which often means that even though we can recite these words as will, we haven't really thought about what they mean and how they, we are to live them out. So I want you to think a minute about what Jesus said and what the scripture says. You shall love the Lord your God, not worship or bless, not obey, not honor or praise, not fear, love. Likewise, Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor, not tolerate, not get along with, not treat kindly, not leave alone, Love. What does it mean to do that, to love God and neighbor? When we hear the word love, most of us think of deep feelings of passionate emotion. We say that we love a certain kind of food. Mine would be chocolate because it tastes wonderful to us. We love a book or a movie because it moves or intrigues us or makes us laugh. We love playing a particular sport because it makes us feel powerful or competent. We love our spouse and our children because they give us joy and make us feel wanted and special and complete. We love our church because it feels like family or home. When I think about loving God, though, I have to admit that I don't often feel intense emotion. True, when I sing or pray or look at the beauty of the world, I feel uplifted and joyful and thankful, and sometimes I'm even moved to tears. But is that loving God? How can I love someone I can't see or 
hear or feel, someone who is mysterious and other. What does it mean to love this God? In his commentary on this passage, Douglas Hare gives us a clue. He writes, In an age when the word love is grazily abused, it is important to remember that the primary component of biblical love is not affection but commitment. Warm feelings of gratitude may fill our consciousness when we consider all that has done for us. But Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 is not talking about warm feelings but stubborn, stubborn, unwavering commitment. In other words, to love, to love God is to make a choice. A choice to have faith in and to be committed to this being, this spirit, this one who encompasses all. It is a response that we make to the God who has chosen to love us. It says in John, 1 John 4, 19, we love because God first loved us. How can we love God? We love God with our minds when we study and reflect and even question God's word. And also, I think, when we study and reflect on the world around us, God's good creation. We love God with our souls when we engage in worship and praise and thanksgiving and singing. And when we give over a part of our day to prayer. And we love God with our hearts when we love what God loves and act as God acts. New Testament scholar Leon Morris wrote, Jesus was asked but for one commandment, but he goes further and adds a second that he says is like it. Wholehearted love for God means coming in some measure to see other people as God sees them, and all people are objects of God's love. Therefore, anyone who truly loves God with all his being must and will love others, and this is expressed in the commandment to love one's neighbor as oneself. In the Old Testament, a neighbor was one's fellow Israelite. However, if we look at the chapter in Leviticus from which this second commandment is drawn, we find another commandment that sounds awfully familiar. Go a little bit further to verse, I think it's 34, and it says, The alien, or stranger, who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself. Furthermore, as M. Eugene Boring points out, Jesus himself urges his followers to love their enemies. So how can we love people yeah, who make us uncomfortable or whom we dislike or even hate or who hate us? Lord knows it's sometimes a struggle just to love members of our own family. Right? True, yeah. <laughs> it may be helpful to know that in this passage, as well as in many other places in the New Testament, the Greek word that we translate as, wa- as love is agape. Agape, the love attributed to God, does not refer to the love of friends or to sexual passion. Agape is loving kindness, graciousness, and mercy. It is marked by patience and generosity kind of love is not a feeling. It's something that we do. Again, Douglas Hare is helpful. To love the neighbor, including our enemies, does not mean to feel affection for them, 
but to imitate God in taking their needs seriously. To imitate God in taking their needs seriously. And I might add, to take their needs as seriously as we take our own. To love in this way is to live out the words of Micah 6. He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. It is to seek the welfare of all people, especially the least of these. It is to embody the description of love in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in the wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Our world really needs this kind of love, doesn't it? But it's not easy. In truth, to love God and to love others often seems impossible. We've been commanded to love as God loves. Or as Henry Nouwen put it, we've been chosen to make our own limited and very conditional love the gateway for the unlimited and unconditional love of God. It's a beautiful thought, isn't it? But How do we do this? I think we do it by turning to Jesus, whose example shows us the way he loved everyone, his confused disciples, the women who supported him along the way, the children and demonics and lepers and people hungry not only for food but for a word of hope. And he loved them in very tangible, sometimes very simple ways. Oh, I know. We don't have Jesus' healing power, and we probably don't have his patience or his generosity, but we still can make a difference in others' lives. Leo Buscaglia said, the majority of us lead quiet, unheralded lives as we pass through this world. There will most likely be no ticker tape parades for us, no monuments created in our honor. But that does not lessen our possible impact, for there are scores of people waiting for someone just like us to come along. People who will appreciate our compassion, our encouragement, who will need our unique talents. Someone who will live a happier life merely because we took the time to share what we had to give. Too often we underestimate the power of a touch, a smile, a kind word, a listening ear, an honest compliment, or the smallest act of caring, all of which have the potential to turn a life around. It's overwhelming to consider the continuous opportunities there are to make our love felt. I'll tell you a story. In November, First United Methodist Church in Redondo Beach will celebrate 25 years of shared bread, their weekly meal for the hungry, 25 years. I'm thrilled that our own church now helps to provide these meals, and I'm really grateful for the crew that goes there every month and that will go there this week to cook for them. 
My husband Don and I were members of that church when it started, um, when Shared Bread started, and we were there on that first night when 90 people showed up to eat a meal on the very first night. That hasn't changed. They still serve 100, 120 people every week. And over the years, we learned that small gestures, a second helping, a listening ear, a kind word, can make a huge difference. Our daughter, Katie, was, mm, we think, around 10 when Shared Bread started, and eventually she started to come with us, and she decided it was her job to pass around desserts. So she would carry a big tray of desserts around, and people were supposed to pick one from the tray. Well, yeah, you know how that goes. Um, And so (laughs) there were two guys there that that would always give her a hard time and do everything they could to get another dessert, totally tongue-in-cheek, because they really really liked her. And she just struck up this unlikely friendship with them, a friendship that lasted for several years. And over time, she got to know them pretty well, and every week there was this kind of kidding back and forth, and they would bring her little gifts and a birthday card for her birthday, and they even actually came to one of her piano recitals and to a band concert when she was in junior high. So time went on, and eventually those men left the program. But one day, one of them came back to say thank you and to tell folks that he had turned his life around. And I was moved to tears when someone told me that he had said that one of the things that helped him to do that was Katie's friendship was this young girl who just didn't know any better that she should be afraid or worried or she just enjoyed being with them. And that made a huge difference for them. You just never know. You just never know. Nevertheless, loving can be hard work. And inevitably, we fall short. We fail to fulfill the commandments God gives us. And it's then when we we turn to Jesus again. For through his death on the cross, we know just how much God loves us. And through his resurrection, we know and receive God's forgiveness and mercy and the love from which we can never be separated. And in that grace, we find the strength to try again. You shall love, Jesus tells us. Let us pray. Oh God, thank you for loving each one of us beyond all measure and for showing us that love in Jesus Christ. As you have chosen to love us, So may we choose to love others and thence thus love you in Jesus' name and in his power and in his spirit. Amen.